couple weeks back, we finished up our uh, series on Colossians, and since then, we've been taking a look at a few words that you probably recognize around here if you've been around Gateway for a little bit of time. They're above the doors as we enter into the auditorium. Uh, it is no grow, and show. These, uh, these words, uh, we use these words to kind of describe uh, what we're all about, the big picture of who we are uh, at Gateway and what we apply ourselves to and prioritize ourselves toward. A couple of weeks ago, Pastor Scott talked on show, and he, he uh, led us through Ephesians chapter 2, how we're not saved by good works. We're saved by God's grace for good works, right? And how what God is doing on the inside, what he's, what he's doing and the change that he's making on the inside of us as believers is meant to come out. The things that he gives to us is not meant to be hoarded. It's not meant for us to, to hold on to the gifts of God like his love and his mercy and his kindness, but we are to let those out uh, to show to the world around us, to the, to the people in this church and to the people outside of these walls as well. Last week, you may not have known it, but we took a look at the word no. Pastor Dave came from Walk Through the Bible, and we spent more time in the New Testament, getting a bigger picture of the New Testament, uh, to, to know more of Jesus, to know more better about God and His, his plan and, and how we relate to Him. And today we come to the word grow. Grow. The big idea of the word grow is this. As believers, when we come to know Jesus, we become a part of, we are, get, we are adopted into the family of God, and for good reason. We need our family. We need our family to grow and to thrive the way God has designed it, the way he has intended it, the way he desires us to grow and thrive. And you know how when you buy a car uh, and uh, there's, the, there's the stripped down model version of the car and then there's models above that that have different options, uh, all the bells and whistles and the different things that a car can have as you spend more money. But you can decide whether or not you're going to, to go with those options or not. The church is not like that. When we come to know Jesus, the church is not an add-on. The church is not an option package that you decide whether or not you want it when you come to know Jesus, becoming a believer and a follower of Jesus, and then saying, well, I'm not sure if I want to be a part of the church. It's like buying a car and saying, I'm not sure I want the transmission. How much is the, can I, can I do it without the frame, <laughs> See, being a part of the church, it's who we are in Christ. It's a package deal so that when we come to a saving faith in Jesus, we're reborn into the family of God. It is no longer me. We've talked about this before. It is no longer me. It's what? It's we. And we grow and we thrive when we participate within this family the way God has instructed, the way that God has designed it. That's how we grow. When we really boil down that word grow, it's this, is that we don't grow alone, we grow together. And this according to God's design. My, my goal with this topic of grow this morning is not to try to push you to a program here at Gateway. This is not a sales pitch, okay? What I want, my goal is for, to clearly communicate that I need you and you need me, that we need each other. This is according to God's plan. And according to God's plan, then is also my goal to communicate an urgency 
for us to participate in church and not merely attend it. To participate in church and not merely attend it. I want to communicate that the, an urgency in participating, being involved with, moving in the direction of small group relationships because it is in these types of relationships with other believers where we can experience God's design, where we experience what it means when the Bible talks about one another, to deepen our love, strengthen our faith, bolster our hope, all of which are more precious than gold, and we need each other to grow in these things. And it's in small group relationships where we, we have someone's back, and they have our back. It's in small group relationships where we start to, to learn how to show our love to one another, to know specifically as we get to know them how to love one another, how to pray for one another, how to support them and carry their burdens, that we're not in this alone, to know what their needs are so that we can meet those needs and they, us, we need this in our life. And if we think that we don't, then it might mean that we don't see a very real threat to our faith very real threat that we face as believers every single day that is looking for ways to attack, to attack our lives, to attack our faith, to attack our church, and not with the intention to make us grow, with the intention to hurt and to make sick and to make weak, to uproot us and to move us away from the very reason why God has given us life, to move us away from the very reason of why our, what our life is about and why we're here. And there are constant attacks against truth. There are attacks against truth in our minds. There are attacks against truth in our hearts. Truth is being attacked in our faith. It's been this way since the beginning, hasn't it? What did Satan say to Eve? Did God really say most diabolical attacks on truth are the ones that don't look like a lie, that they're disguised, they're not easily recognizable. Satan hasn't changed one bit, has he? He's still doing his work, isn't he? We're still being attacked with other doctrines. We're still being attacked with, with other passions other than that of Jesus. We're still being attacked with other priorities other than Jesus. And these attacks are meant to move us away to lead us away from our greatest treasure, and that is Jesus. Fortunately, there's something that could be done in response to these attacks. We're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 4 today, verses 14 to 16 for our passage. But before that, I'm going to read a little bit from the book of Acts, chapter 20. If you don't have your Bibles, uh, there's some Bibles in front of you. Uh, open up your Bibles, open up your phone, your apps, whatever it is, uh, to Acts chapter 20. So a little bit of background here where we're at in the story. Uh, Paul has been, he's lived in, in the city of Ephesus for a few years now. Uh, he's been preaching the gospel. He's been teaching the truth about Jesus. He's uh, planted the church. He's, he, he's developing and, and, and planting those leaders there in that church to take over for when he leaves. And, and when he leaves, he goes up to Greece and Macedonia. And in Acts chapter 20, when we get to the story, uh, he's on his way back to Jerusalem. Uh, he's pushed there. It says the, the Spirit is, is compelling him to go, and he's in a hurry. He wants to get there uh, 
before Pentecost. And, and so instead of stopping in Ephesus, that's where this, this uh, yellow arrow is right here, instead of stopping here, he goes and he stops in this little town called Miletus. And there he sends word to the leaders in Ephesus instead of going there. He, he wants to talk to them. He loves the church in Ephesus. He lived there for three years, but he's in a hurry. And so he sends word to the leaders, come to me because I want to talk to you. We pick up the story in verse 17. Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews and how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying to both Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. It's his last words that he's going to speak to these leaders, the church at Ephesus, at least face to face. He says, therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Now, pay close, pay careful attention to yourselves and all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears, and now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified." Paul has some grave concerns for the believers at Ephesus. It prompts him to speak to the leaders of the church and, and give, him some, give them some final words. He calls the church the flock. And he tells the shepherds of the church that after his departure, there will be fierce wolves. There will be fierce wolves that will come in among the flock and they will twist the truth and they will deceive with the intention to drag away the sheep of the flock, that these wolves would infiltrate and probably be dressed like sheep, not to cause alarm, and that by their lies and their cunning, they would introduce different types of teaching, different doctrines, and that the enemy would use these words to plant in the hearts of believers to draw their devotion away, away from Jesus in some way. See, Paul is concerned for the church, and he, he talks to the leaders while he's hurrying to Jerusalem, and he also writes a letter to the church in Ephesus. We call it Ephesians. And he's going to reiterate this warning and, and give some teaching for everyone in the church because of this very real threat that has the potential to move us away from our greatest treasure. 
We looked at the conversation that Paul had with the leaders. Let's take a look at his letter, Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to start reading from verse 11, so you can follow along in your notes or in your Bible, uh, so that there's some context. But we're really going to settle into verses 14 through 16. Verse 11 says, He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood or adulthood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. He gave the church apostles and prophets. He gives the church evangelists and shepherds and teachers. And take a look at why that he gave the church these people, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. This word equip, this is a Greek word that was often used as a medical term to set bones. to make complete, to restore, to move from sin to to a loving obedience to Christ. And who are the saints? It's us. We're the saints. And what are we supposed to do as, as we are equipped and made fit? The work of ministry. See, the saints are being equipped by the shepherds and the teachers so that the saints can effectively serve one another, which builds up the body of Christ an inward building, a a deepening, a rooting, an establishing. And there are objectives that God has for his church in all this, to attain unity of the faith, knowledge of the Son of God, spiritual maturity of believers, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ, knowing Jesus and becoming more like him, growing up in our spiritual maturity. Verse 14, growing up into our spiritual maturity. Why? So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Now, remember the wolves? Here's what the wolves are good at. Carrying away the young. And by young, I mean the spiritually immature Believers who have not grown up, Paul calls them children, who are not receiving the equipping, who are not involved with serving of others, and therefore not a part of being built up and becoming mature, but they're in the flock. They're coming to Sunday mornings. Maybe they go to a couple of Bible studies, maybe a function or two, but when it comes to their spiritual maturity, they're children. Now, I have a couple children living in my house. Uh, My daughter Nina is 10, Max is 7, and they're at the age right now where the things that they see, if it is sparkly uh, for Max, if it's sharp and pointy, uh, they are drawn to these things, right? They move in the direction of these things, and of course, not at all what these things are. They're not things that are good for them necessarily. They're things that that are not safe for them necessarily. Chocolate cake for Nina. Nina will take a look at dinner, and she will instinctively know that she doesn't like it, right? She's drawn to the things. It seems appealing to her or, or not. We tell, all, we tell her all the time, 
girl, you need, your body needs nutrients, but nutrients isn't necessarily what is appealing to her and what she is drawn to, right? They see something tasty, they see something pretty, something that is enticing, and they want it, and they want it right now. And they change their minds about this all the time. Max has made changing his mind an art form. It is an art form for that boy. Just two days ago, he wanted me to cut some apples for him. And he, he, he told me, Dad, I don't, I don't want the slices to be small. I want them big and, and chunky, right? So I was like, okay. So I'm cutting big chunky slices and I'm putting in the bowl. And as he sees them in the bowl, he's like, no, uh, no, I, I, I want the slices to be smaller. And so I cut them smaller. And then he's like, oh, no, right? Oh, no, no, I want them, to, I want them. No, it's too late. You can't get, go back to being bigger slices, right? He's, he's made it an, an absolute art form. And he wants to do everything on his own. At seven years old, he just wants to be independent. This is one, it makes one of the, it's the coolest thing about Max and one of the most terrifying things about Max He's drawn to sharp knives in the kitchen. He wants to use them by himself. He's, he wants to use the hot stove by himself. He, he wants to roam the neighborhood, and he wants to climb impossibly tall trees. And He wants to use dad's tools on his own without any supervision. I'm constantly telling him, but you can't use that. Like, you don't know what you're doing. Like, you, you're way too young. You lack the skills and abilities necessary to use it properly. And I don't even think that you would use it appropriate parts of the house even. I, I, don't, I don't think that our pets and your sister are safe with you wheeling this thing, right? The fact is that Max and Nina are naive. They're naive about the dangers. Max is naive about the dangers of a chop saw. They're naive about the dangers of certain strangers. They're naive when it comes to facts that other seven-year-old boys tell him, right? As children, they're distracted with what catches their eyes. They easily change their minds. They're naive. Paul says in Romans chapter 16, verse 17, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by, look, smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive, of children, of spiritually immature. They're, children are susceptible to attacks. These attacks Paul describes as, first of all, wind and waves, tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by winds of doctrine. It's any persuasive teaching that would move you in a direction other than that pertaining to the work and the person of Jesus Christ. When I worked overseas, I worked in Indonesia for a couple of years, and there was a beach there that none of the locals swam at. Right? They, wouldn't, they wouldn't dare enter the water, and that should be a red flag to all the internationals. But the, all the internationals, they would swim in this bay, and it was beautiful. It was, the water was inviting. It was enticing. And the land was shaped in such a way, this bay, that the land would cause the waves to come in around the land, and then underneath, unbeknownst to anyone else, there's this thing called a riptide. You know what that is? It's this underwater current. 
And internationals, swimming in the waters, they started going missing. They started dying. And the UN was sending out emails to people like, don't swim in this bay. There's dangers, but you can't see it. People are like, I don't know why, why we shouldn't. Look how amazing it is. Look how inviting it is. And they would go in, and if the winds out in the ocean were strong and the waves coming in were strong, that riptide could take someone out to sea a mile and a half. A mile and a half. And if you're not a strong swimmer, if you don't know which direction to swim, then you are brought further and further and further away from where you need to be. Paul says there's human cunning too. It's translated as, as trickery. It's a term that we, that we get the English word cube, cube from. It goes back to ancient dice that were, that were always uh, being uh, weighted in some way, manipulated in some way. They, the dice, they look legit. It looks right, but it's a trick. It's disguise. It's not what it seems. He says craftiness. Craftiness and deceitful schemes. Craftiness has a very similar uh, meaning as trickery. It's clever manipulation to make it look like truth. And he says craftiness and deceitful schemes. That same word schemes is used later in his letter in Ephesians in chapter 6, verse 11. He says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. The point is this, whether it is human trickery or schemes of the devil or wolves in your midst, there are attacks. The church and believers are being attacked, and it's from every single side. We still have an enemy, and he's still very active. Paul's letter to the Ephesians, a couple of chapters later, he says, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And through these powers, truth is being attacked from within our culture, marketing, social media, news. It's being attacked by maybe some people that you work with. Maybe, with, maybe by some people that you go to school with. Maybe by some of our political leaders. Maybe by some teachers. Maybe by some pastors. It's from all sides. It's from within and it is from without. So what do we do about it? What can be done? What can be done about the attacks of trickery and scheming from, from wind and, and waves and wolves that would, would move us away from Jesus? Paul says that we need to grow up. We need to grow up. Ephesians 4.14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and de- deceitful schemes. Rather, okay, rather, Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, to no longer be children who are so susceptible to these attacks. Rather, Paul says that we are to grow up, that we need to speak the truth in love. Just a couple of verses later in Ephesians 4.25, it says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. I mean, what better way to fight and to protect against the the attacks of lies and deception than with the truth? Ephesians 6.14, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. 1 John 3.18, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in love. Truth should radiate from the believer. 
should radiate from the believer in the way that we live and the way that we speak to one another. This is how we grow up. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. In order to radiate the truth, we need to know the truth. We need to be exposed to the truth. John 17, 17 says, sanctify them in the truth. This is his prayer for us. His prayer for us, Father, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Believers, let his truth into your life. Let it into your life and then let it out. Put yourself in a position where you are being exposed to that truth like a river flowing into the sea and then from the sea let it flow out of you to the people around you. The people around you, they need it. Truth needs to be lived out in love to each other. We grow together when we, when we serve one another, when we live out the truth in each other's lives, and we grow together when each part is working properly. Paul uses the human body to describe the workings of the church on several different occasions. 1 Corinthians 12, 27 says, Now you, speaking of us, are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Listen to Romans 12. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. See, in the body there are many parts. Every single believer is brought into the body as part of the body. Let me ask you this. If, if you are a pinky finger, what does the pinky need in order to function properly? What does the pinky need in order for it to be, to, to be strong and to, and to move according to how it's supposed to move? It's supposed to be getting instructions from the head, right? It should have a relationship with the head so it knows how to move and what to do. In other words, the pinky needs to look and act more like Jesus. And Jesus, the head of the body, knows exactly what the pinky needs. He created the pinky. He gave the pinky all of its abilities to be able to function as a finger, not just to look like a finger. Not just to look like a finger, but to perform the functions of a finger. And he placed the pinky next to the other parts that the body needs. And that the pinky needs, the whole body needs that part as well. He creates the parts. He empowers the parts. And he begins to move these parts together with all his infinite wisdom and knowledge and begin to join them together. This is what Paul says, with which it is equipped, first of all, he says. We are empowered with these gifts. And then he attaches those parts, joined and held together by every joint, and he binds them to the body according to his wisdom and understanding. If you are a believer here this morning, then you are bound to the body of Jesus, to his church. This should ring in your ears as something so good and so beautiful because you're attached to the body in a very purposeful and perfect way. And as an attached member of the body, you are bound to it for a reason. The body needs every single part. There's no one in here that's a spleen. <laughs> it needs every single part, every part working properly when our love moves us in the direction toward involvement with each other in order to serve one another, to live out the truth and to speak truth into one another's life. 
and always be speaking into each other's lives the truth of God in the love of God. This is what happens when parts of the body begin to move from what I'm going to call attendance to participation. And when I say participation, uh, I mean putting ourselves in a position where we are part of the process of the body being built up. Each part working properly, participating in the work of ministry, like Paul says, being purposeful and allowing ourselves to be put in a position where we are speaking the truth in the lives of others or receiving the truth and love from others as well. Participation, why? Why? Man, because church is not something that we do. Church is something that we are. It's not just something that we merely attend, although it has to start with that, right? But it's something so much more. It's something of, of who we are and what we need. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he was a German pastor. He was killed uh, under Hitler. And, and one of the things he wrote on this subject, on this topic, was that Christian brotherhood or, or sisterhood, right? The, the family of God coming together is not an ideal which we must realize, We don't have to achieve it or or accomplish it in some way. He says it is rather a reality created by God in Christ in which we participate. And God calls us then. Jesus is calling the body parts to come together to participate in living out what we have been made a part of, to put ourselves in a place where there's more than just attendance, to allow ourselves to be placed in a position of participation. And like I said at the beginning, this is about taking a next step and moving in the direction of developing and deepening small group relationships. Why small groups? Because small groups are a place that fosters participation. The primary means for this at Gateway are grow groups. Grow groups uh, usually meet in people's homes, The function, the reason that we meet together in people's homes is is we get to know each other on on a deeper level, more than just on a surface level. We get to to pray with other believers. We get to have meals with other believers. We, We get to participate in life together with other believers so we get to know them. We get to know them so that we know how to serve them. We get to know them better so we know how to better to pray for them. We come together and we we get to know other believers so we begin to learn about their life, their real life. How is your life really? You get to talk about life in relation to the Lord. We get to talk then about how their week went and to be able not just to pray for them, but to learn about some of the burdens that they carry so that we can come alongside of them and serve them and to carry those burdens with them and they us. There's Bible partnerships. This is something that as a church we started focusing on this year. Uh, this, is, uh, this is a very, usually a very small group of, of two or three people. Uh, and I, it, th- th- being in partnership uh, with some of you guys out there, uh, this has changed the way that I read the Bible. And many people that I talk to uh, that are in partnerships together where they come together on a weekly basis and they, they read the word together and they, they keep each other accountable to it. Uh, this has changed the way they said they read the Bible, that, that they have newfound passion for the word of God. We have Bible studies, we have barbecues, we have church picnics and uh, 
There's volunteer positions for this church. There's volunteer positions in different ministries that we can be a part of small groups working together, serving, for example, in hospitality or kids' church or children's center or prayer shawl. Other parts of the body need you. You're here for a reason. We also have brand new small groups that are starting up called life groups. And these are groups that are that, that they're focused on an interest or, or a subject, and they will last for a period of time. For example, eight weeks or a school year or, or the summer. And we have new groups that are forming right now. And I know I'm a bit biased when it comes to these groups, but they are awesome. They are awesome. We have Bible reading groups that meet in people's living rooms and and we come together around something similar to partnerships where we come together around the Word of God and we read the Word of God out loud and then we pray for those words to be effective in our lives for one another. I've been praying for prayer teams that would that would form a prayer team would would uh, would meet during a worship service and pray for us, pray for the worship service, pray for God's leading and His power. And then they would be available after a worship service to pray for those who feel that they need to respond to where God is leading them. I've been meeting with Greg and Carol Smith, and it's been so good to hear their heart. There's a new group that they're starting in their home, and it's about reaching out with the gospel to the lost, to pray to the Lord of the harvest, to invest together as a group in the work that Jesus has commissioned us to do. This is amazing. All of this, there's information at the tables in the lobby about grow groups and all the groups that we talked about this morning. I encourage you to to visit them, to learn about it, because there are amazing ways, there is incredibly great ways for every single one of us to be involved, to participate, and take those steps in developing and deepening those small group relationships here at Gateway. Grow group leaders, uh, all small group adult leaders, I'm inviting you in two weeks to come back here to the church after the 11 o'clock at 12.30. We'll have lunch together. We're going to pray. We're going to pray for ourselves. We're going to pray for our groups. And we're going to talk more about then how we can be involved uh, in developing and deepening and fostering small group relationships. Final thought. If God designed the church to function as a body, and he did, where each part is serving the others. Each part is looking to the head for instructions. Each one participating and being involved personally with other parts and, and pointing to Jesus and, 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 and building up the faith of one another with truth in each other's lives. If he designed it this way, then would it be surprising that the neglect of these instructions and the neglect of these designs would be damaging? would be detrimental, that would cause some parts to be weak, that would cause some parts to be hurt. How do we not let this happen? How do we grow our body here at Gateway that is impervious to wind and waves and wolves? We listen to Jesus and we do what he says. And he says, participate in the lives of others in the body of Christ by serving them, by being involved in the lives of others in a way that is rich with truth and in love. How do we grow in our own lives 
so that in our own lives we're impervious to wind and waves and wolves. We listen to Jesus and we do what he says. We put ourselves in a position to participate in his body where he has placed us as an indispensable part of that body to do the work of the ministry, to serve one another and function as a part of the body that he has made you for and empowers you to be and places you exactly where you need to be, not just to look like a part, but to put yourself in a position where you're being exposed to the truth and then pray, God, then use that truth in my life and change me with your truth so that I can live it out in love to others whom you are participating with. And don't think that you can do it on your own. I can't do it on my own. We cannot do it on our own. There's too much wind. There's too many waves. There's wolves. And don't think that you can do it your own way either. See, Jesus has provided everything that we need for our growth here at Gateway Church. Our job is to say, yes, Lord. Jesus places every single part Every single one of us, he places us for a reason, empowers those things to, to move and to, and to respond and to love and to speak according to how the head thinks and feels, according to his instructions. You say, well, Lord Jesus, I'm just a pinky. What would you have me do? And Jesus says, I want you to serve the ring finger. I want you to get to know that ring finger so you know how to serve it better. I want you to live out truth and I want you to speak truth to the palm. It needs you and you need it. I want you to help bring food to the mouth. And when the whole body is doing this, the parts of the body doing this together, then the parts of the body begin to move and act more in line with how the head thinks and feels. And when this happens, it makes the body grow. Paul says when this happens, here at Gateway Church, when this happens, here at Gateway Church, it it will build itself up in love. We will build ourselves up in love according to the power of the Holy Spirit because we grow together. We grow together. Father, we are so grateful for this church. We're so grateful that we have you who has founded this church and you are the one who ultimately will grow it. And you have asked for us to come alongside and to be involved. And we need we need you and we need each other. And so often, Father, we can be duped. We can, we can be tricked into thinking that we need something else, that we desire something else other than you. Father, protect us. Guard that. Help us to grow together, to be impervious against the wind and the waves and the wolves so that we can grow together by serving one another and speaking truth. Reveal the truth in our lives. Help us, Father. Empower us to, to put ourselves in a position of where we are uh, practicing being exposed to the truth. We want to know you more and we want to be changed by that truth, Father, and we need you for that and we need one another the way you designed it. So help us to go out into the lobby. Help us to take those next steps, whatever those steps are and whatever you're leading us to do, help us to take those next steps into developing and deepening our small group relationships so that we can grow more and more into the image of you and honor you with our lives and honor you with our church. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.